This morning, I'm, I'm interested in a little piece of a verse found in 2 Corinthians, and, and we'll arrive there shortly. But the, the concept that I'm working with this morning is what does it mean to contemplate the glory of God? What does that mean? Paul invites us to contemplate the glory of God, and I'm, I'm curious if that thought really ever intersects our days. I had an unusual experience some years ago when Nancy and I were in uh, the town of Lafargeville, New York, our first church after seminary. It was a tiny little town, 300 people, 1,500 cows. Um, it was tiny, very rural, uh, because an interstate had gone through there. Most of the commerce no longer needed to drive through Lafargeville on its way to the Thousand Islands. And so a lot of those upstate New York towns sort of dwindle away when there's no traffic coming through them anymore. Uh, we started there in 1989, and in time, we had to build a church to house the growing congregation. There hadn't been a building permit pulled in that town in years uh, because everything was contracting and, and growing smaller and, and diminishing. And so the process of, of building was difficult. Uh, there wasn't a Home Depot or a Lowe's anywhere nearby to get supplies, and things had to be driven in from a distance. And essentially it fell to me to be the general contractor of the church, which is really a short-sighted proposition to begin with. Uh, but it really worked like this. The, the tradesmen and the craftsmen were in the congregation, and my job during the day was to get the supplies on site, and then I would just be their assistant in the evening while they did the work, and I got them whenever they needed. Uh, and most of the time, we could order in advance the supplies we needed, but as you can imagine, in any building project, there's things that come up that you didn't think ahead that you needed, and, and nails and this and whatever. And so I would run over to the local Agway store and get what we needed. And about halfway through the project, the Agway store changed ownership. And a family from the Methodist church, the Timmermans, bought the Agway store. And I didn't think a whole lot about that. There were two other small churches in town, a Catholic church, a Methodist church, and now a Nazarene church. And I didn't really think much about that transition until I went over one afternoon to get supplies that we needed in a hurry. So I go in, there's one of the Timmermans at the counter. I order my supplies. I get my bill. I'm ready to sign it. And I see that I have a 20% discount. Now, I've been buying the last-minute supplies at the Agway store for some months now. I'd never gotten a 20% discount before. And so I said to the guy behind the counter, one of the Timmermans' sons, hey, you know, what's this discount about? He said, well, that's for the church, isn't it? I said, yeah. He says, well, we're not going to make a profit on the building of the church. I said, oh, really? He says, yeah. I mean, we all live to the glory of God, don't we? I wasn't expecting to hear that answer. I can't tell you how pleased I was to hear that answer. And not for the 20% off, but for the knowledge that it had gotten into this young man's head that his life in every aspect, even in business, was about living to the glory of God. It's really important for us to understand we exist to glorify God. And in Corinthians 5, Paul tells us, as you can remember from last week and lots of other weeks, that we are God's ambassadors, 
that he is making his appeal through us, that he's entrusted us with this ministry of reconciliation. And now Paul begins to explain why it's hard for us to be on task for God. This is what he says in 2 Corinthians 4, 1 to 18. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Verse 7. But we have this treasure, the treasure meaning the ministry of the gospel, in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Verse 16, we know we're going to suffer. We know there's going to be difficulty, but in spite of it, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So we have this treasure, the gospel and the ministry of it, in jars of clay so that the people looking on don't get confused. So that people don't think that this amazing truth and gospel is our creation. We, we carry this out in, in broken, damaged human vessels so that no one else will ever get confused that we're the ones who are in charge or this is our idea. Our brokenness points people to Christ. The fact that there are no exemptions from difficulty when it comes to the common natural difficulties of life for Christians and the fact that we are persevering in the way we serve Christ in spite of the afflictions that we endure, this is a powerful witness to our faith in Christ. So, so when you're praying to be exempted from pain, or when you're praying to be exempted from grief, or when you're praying that none of your relatives will ever die, remember that though God hears those prayers and answers those prayers in various ways, his answer will not always include removing pain or suffering or grief or death. Because... All of those things are common to humanity. I didn't say easy. I didn't say any less tragic. I just said common and normal. But, but that's where verse 16 comes into play. We experience the pain. We experience the grief. We experience the loss that all of humanity experiences and we also experience the pain of the lostness and sinfulness of those around us. But we do not lose heart and we do not lose hope. That's what verse 16 is. Therefore, we do not lose heart. 
So outwardly, we're suffering. We're wasting away. Inwardly, we can be renewed day by day. And so the question that comes to my mind is, how is it possible for us to remain stable in the middle of the chaos? How do we rise above the pain? How do we get the renewal that is promised to us in these verses? And Paul gave us a clue back in 2 Corinthians 3, 18, just prior to the verses that we read. This is 2 Corinthians 3, 18. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. What's the methodology for maintaining and persevering in the midst of the struggle? It's contemplating the Lord's glory. At some level, this is worship right? Meditating on the glory of the Lord. A significant part of the renewal process is worship and meditation. You know how cows eat, right? I mean, cows have this stomach that's divided into four sections, and they gobble, 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 and they chew stuff. And then for eight hours that day, they regurgitate what they've eaten, and they chew on it. Chew, 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 chew. Eight hours of chewing the cud, they just chew, chew, chew. Some say twenty to 30,000 chews per day, okay? They're just grinding away at it, chewing. On. The, the word ruminate comes from this process. Chew, chew, chew. Our, our contemplation of the glory of God ought to be reminiscent of a cow chewing its cud. That's in our mind all day long. We consider the goodness, the majesty, the patience, the power, the humility, the condensation, the condescension, the kindness. All these amazing attributes of God, we should be chewing, 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 thinking, remembering, memorizing, all about the goodness and glory of God. And that's one of the ways we are renewed day by day. This is a Christian discipline. Remembering that we exist to reflect the glory of God, we spend our days meditating on the glory of God. Well, how do you do that, you might ask? Well, you read the Gospels. You spend time in the Psalms. You read the lives of the saints. You put in there information that anchors the glory of God so that you can chew on. You have to have something to chew on up there, right? There's plenty of songs that you have sung in your lifetime, the lyrics of which help you contemplate the glory of God. Get those songs in your head. Get the activity of Jesus from the Gospels in your head. Recite the Psalms that say, sing to the Lord, declare his glory, the heavens display the handiwork of God. Get that in your brain and chew, 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 chew on that. Remember to contemplate the glory of God. Paul reminds us, you remember these words from Philippians, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Contemplate the glory of God. But we have to confess that our attention span is sometimes short. And we get caught up in our own difficulties and it is really hard to change the channel to switch to contemplating the glory of God. So 
So when the road gets especially wearisome, when we are suffering, when grief or pain or COVID times get us down, how do you turn the page on your current state of affairs? I think that's the time when you have passages of scripture that you can pray and recite and memorize that you can put in your mind and pray so that the channel can be changed. Passages like Isaiah 40. Listen to these words. Why do you say, Jacob, why do you say, Israel, that your way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by God? Have you not heard? Have you not known? The Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And that's a promise of God, isn't it? And so on days when shifting the channel to contemplate the glory of God is difficult, pray that scripture and ask for your strength to be renewed. Cite the promise, hope in God and meditate on his glory. Isaiah 40 should be in your head and in your Bible and on your refrigerator, right? So that when it's tough to shift the channel, you have resources to help you. Or maybe Isaiah 44. But now hear, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I've chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you in the womb and will help you. Do not fear, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. They shall spring up like a green tamarisk, like willows by flowing stream. This is the promise of God to drench the thirsty ground with the water of his spirit. And when we're past the point of coping on our own strength, it is time to ask God for a renewal of spirit, a return to your first love. Ask God and meditate on his glory. We need strategies for like those days. You've heard me say before that for me, there is also, in addition to these scriptural passages that are so important, there's music that I turn to. There's music that I want to hear loudly. I'm not talking about just a, like a little bit in playing in the back of my ear, soft music. I'm talking about loud, confrontive music. I, my favorite is Brahms Requiem. It's probably not your choice, but the text is all scripture. And it reminds me every time I hear it that my life is like grass. It will wither away like the flower of the field, but the word of God is eternal. And one of the major movements of it is, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord my God. And it helps me focus on what's true, that he is stable, that he is eternal, that his glory is worth just contemplating and meditating, and, and that he has a plan for my life, and he has delivered promises to me. And I am in his hands, and my times are in his hands, and my days are in his hands. We need 
coping mechanisms like that, anchored in the Word of God. I've got to tell you, when I'm most perplexed, I find a quiet place and I open the Gospels and I read about the life of Jesus and I try to put myself into the stories and I say, Lord, how would you handle these kinds of situations that we're dealing with? Lord, how, how did you bless and encourage the people that were nearest you when they were experiencing the most difficult times of their lives? The Gospels are such an important resource for us in difficult times. If you're overburdened or weary or worn out, it's hard to do better than having Matthew eleven twenty eight etched into your brain. Come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. When you go to Hebrews 4, Jesus talks about the, well, Paul describes the, the Sabbath rest that remains for the people of God, and I'm convinced there he's talking about heaven, that there's going to be a rest coming. But here in Matthew, when Jesus is speaking about rest that he provides for us, that's not heaven, that's now. That's a promise for today. That's an immediate promise. Now, there are some conditions on it. We have to take his yoke on us. We have to be his children. And we have to rest in him. But he promises that his burden, his yoke for us is light. And that we will find rest for our souls. So are you overburdened, weary, worn out? Cast your cares on him. He cares for you specifically articulate the handoff. It's one thing to say, I'm going to cast my cares on you. It's another thing to say, Lord, I'm going to cast the situation with my niece on you. And Lord, I'm going to ask you to care for this situation that's too heavy for me to bear. And I'm going to cast the situation with my parents on you and their health and their ongoing care. Lord, I'm going to trust you to help me and that you're going to provide a way for us. And I'm, do you see, I'm, articulating and handing off the very specific things that are weighing me down rather than just generalizing about it. And then having handed off the burdens of my soul, then it's time to chew on the glory of God again, to remember who he is, to meditate on his attributes, to trust that he is at work when I can't necessarily see him at work, but to believe that he is who he says he is and that he will keep his promises to us. I encourage you, contemplate the glory of God. Trust him. Develop a strategy for handing off the concerns of this world to the one who can carry them better than we can and trust in the Lord day by day. Be strong and take courage. Contemplate the glory of God. And in that contemplation, find the joy of the Lord. To his glory now and forever. Amen.